Well, amen, amen. I am so glad to be here. I was going to say I'm excited to be here, but I'm excited like you haven't eaten in a week and you sit down in front of a good meal. I'm relieved to be here. Amen. Uh, I started off this year, I think two or three missions conferences back in January and February, and then everything came to a screeching halt. And I have not been to a missions conference uh, since, I guess, the middle of February. And so I am so glad you're here. I'm so glad that I'm here. I'm so glad that you folks have prepared so well. I haven't been out of the country either. I, I travel normally overseas regularly, and I haven't been out of the country for 10 months this month. The last time I was out of the country, I went to Africa last November. 10 months is the longest stretch of time for me in, in 24 years that I've been stuck here in America. And uh, next Wednesday, I'm getting on a plane, and uh, I'm flying to Brazil, and I just can't wait to go. And my wife can't either. She is so ready for me to leave the country. Um, just <laughs> getting back to normal, amen. But uh, I, I love the decorations. I was noticing somebody planned well up here. Did you see this? That first flag, that's us, right? I guess it's fitting that it's up there on 9-11. There's Brazil. You've got missionaries here from Brazil. I'm guessing that's New Zealand. That's actually the Australian flag, but I'll take it for the way it was meant. It's kind of like calling a Canadian-American, you know. Uh, and there's the United Kingdom. And you, you all know the difference between England and Great Britain and the United Kingdom and the British Isles. I guess we'll have a lesson later on this week. Amen. But, uh, of course, Kenya there in the middle. The bottom one is Thailand. Thailand used to have a yellow flag until, until World War II. And uh, because they sided with the Allied powers after the war was over, they changed their flag to be red, white, and blue. They wanted it the same as England and Australia and America. And so they have a flag that's red, white, and blue there. And, uh, and those flags represent our missionaries. And I was noticing these banners. I don't know, I don't know who does your graphics, brother. Somebody's good. I, I, I love the fonts. That's a Thai-looking font. Uh, how many of you know what the Thai alphabet looks like? Nothing like yours. I'll promise you that. They do not have an A, a B, a C, a D. They have no letters like our letters. Entirely different alphabet. They have six letter T's in the Thai language. There are 44 consonants. There are 22 vowels. There are 12 diphthongs. There are four tone marks. And uh, it's an interesting language. That looks British, doesn't it? That font right there looks British. And I love the Kenya. Somebody did a really good job. And I appreciate all the time that you put into there. I love flags. I love maps. I love everything about the world. You know, God loves the world. Amen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Aren't you glad? Amen. Aren't you glad? And uh, we've been a little bit, I think, as a nation, we've been a little bit introspective over the last few months. We've been focused on our own lives and our own safety and our own health and our own families. But there's a whole world out there that still needs Jesus Christ. Amen. And I'm, I'm thrilled to be a part of a conference where we can take a few a few days and remember that God loves the whole world. Does anybody know just off the top of your head what percentage of the world's population is in America? Who knows? Anybody know? 4%. 4% of the world lives in America. That means 96% of the world's out there waiting for a missionary. 96%. Does anybody happen to know how much of the world's money is in America? Anybody know? You ready for this? America has 41% of the world's money. 4% of the world's population, we have 41% of the world's money. 
Most of us live today better than the kings and the queens of Europe lived 200 years ago. We're such a wealthy country. God's blessed us beyond compare. We have amazing things that we enjoy here in America. For instance, when we turn the light switch on here in America, the light stays on. Amen, Brother Mickey? It stays on here. We, 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 put, we t- turn on the faucet and water comes out. Clean water. Water that you can actually drink. That is a rare thing in this world. We, our, our definition of a poverty here in America is somebody that only has a 32-inch flat screen television, the poor soul. And they've only got two vehicles instead of three. And I think we forget sometimes how much God has given us. And unto whom much is given, much shall be required. And I believe we're going to answer to God for what he's given to us and what we've done with it. And I've been asked to come and to preach about missions, and I'm going to do that. Uh, I, I talked to your pre- preacher during dinner tonight, and uh, I have a sermon that I've, I've never preached before. And the Lord, I feel like the Lord's really laid it on my heart. And, uh, and I feel like I'm going to preach it in a number of different places. And I feel like you guys get to hear it first. <clears throat> and you're not going to like it. I'm going to preach a whole sermon on getting out of debt. We're, we're not able to do so much for the Lord because we're too busy supporting Visa and MasterCard. Because we so often live above our, ne- our means. And we don't think anything of using a credit card, swiping it, when the bill comes, paying it, and we don't even blink at that $100 interest payment that goes along with it. But $15 to missions every month hurts. I wonder if we switch that around, what would happen? Brother Mickey, I enjoyed that video. I, I'm, I'm going try to get, try to get the whole thing shown at our church. I really, that was a blessing. And um, one thing I've learned about missionaries like this is that when you spend time with them, the first thing that you realize is that they're amazing. They're amazing people. They, they've left their home, and, and I love the fact that you said that that is your home. Uh, I think that that's something that God does for a missionary couple. But they're amazing to leave America and to go to a place where life is more difficult, where the lights don't stay on, where you can't drink the water, where folks are poor. And then the second thing you realize about people like this is that they're fairly normal. That they're just everyday people that listened to the call of God and went and did what God called them to do. And when they went and did what God called them to do, then God can do amazing things through them. And I was amazed by that ministry there that's only 22 years old that has multiple churches and multiple pastors and missionaries going to other countries. And I I started thinking of some of the other men that I know and some of the other ministries that I've been to. And and, uh, great things are happening around the world in the the realm of missions today. And I'm, I'm a blessed man. I serve as the missions pastor at the First Baptist Church of Hammond. I serve as the director of Fundamental Baptist Missions International. And my life all day, every day is about missions. And and I get to share all the blessings of what God's doing around the world. And God is doing some amazing things with some amazing people who are just normal people. And I thank God for everyone that answers the call and goes and does that. And they need our prayers. They need our love. They need our encouragement. Sometimes it gets lonely. Can you imagine a guy like that being a minority? 
but he is where he lives. He's the odd one out. Everybody kind of makes fun of him and tries to, tries to get extra money from him because Americans are walking wallets wherever they go overseas. We need to pray for him, pray for his wife. It's not easy being an empty nester. We can joke about it, but there'll be tears. And they'll need our prayers. Pray for their kids back here in the States or wherever they, that God calls them to go. We need to pray for our missionaries. And we need to love the world. Would you take your Bible and turn to the book of Acts? <clears throat> Acts chapter 1. I'm going to read one verse tonight. It's a verse you're familiar with. And um, I was asked this year to speak in the early part of youth conference. We did not, we had youth conference at First Baptist Church in Hammond, but we did not have our normal youth conference. Normally we would have two or 3,000 teenagers come from around, around America and some from other countries. And this year we did not do that. We had only our teenagers there in the main auditorium and we ended up having almost 500 teenagers just from our church. But then we, we, we videoed everything and had it uh, streaming online. And so we had youth conference. And I know some churches had, had uh, a room set up and they, some of them even decorated and had a screen in the front and they kind of joined in on our youth conference that way. And I, I was asked if I would speak just for a few minutes at the very opening of youth conference. And I shared a thought from Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And uh, since that time, uh, I, I've meditated much on this verse and on that thought and kind of broadened it a little bit. And I want to give you that thought tonight. I don't think we'll be here real long. We'll, we'll start off the missions conference, getting you home on time into bed so you can come back again tomorrow. Amen. And uh, we'll do that right. But uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, I want to read this to you, and if you'll read along with me, you can stay seated, and I'll read it. You follow along silently as I read out loud. A familiar verse for most of us, the Bible says, But ye shall receive power, after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. I was laughing with the preacher a little while ago. We were standing out in the lobby and, and uh, you got that big, beautiful map there mounted on the wall. And uh, if you put your finger on, on uh, Louisville, Kentucky and uh, look for the uttermost part of the earth, it'll be New Zealand. We took that literally, went there to New Zealand. We served in New Zealand for 12 years, started Grace Baptist Church there. Four of my seven children were born in the, in the country of New Zealand. Uh, their uh, New Zealanders call themselves Kiwis after the national bird, and they call Americans Yanks. Doesn't matter if you're born in Alabama, you're a Yank in New, in New Zealand. And uh, so we called ourselves Yankees. Uh, that's what our four kids were anyway. They were half American and half Kiwi, and, and uh, we served there. God did a wonderful thing there, called one of our young men to preach, and he actually came back here and went to Hiles Anderson College and married a girl from the UP of Michigan and went back there. And Nick and Beth Watt have now been pastoring that church longer than I did. And that is a joy to every pastor. When I was reading this verse, <clears throat> as I was reading it, something, um, actually the New Zealand word is niggled. Something niggled at me. Something didn't set just right. Something bothered me when I read it. And it wasn't anything spiritual. It was just as I was reading it, it felt like something just just wasn't flowing in the verse. And so I, I, I started reading it over and over. And finally, it clicked with me that there's one verse in this ver one word in this verse that doesn't fit. It doesn't work right. It doesn't mesh 
with the rest of the verse. I want to read it again to you slowly. You follow along and I'll stop at that word and I want to show you why it niggled at me. The Bible says, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you and ye shall be witnesses unto me both. How many is both? If we're both going out to eat, how many of us are going out to eat? Two. If you put both your shoes on, how many shoes are you wearing? I've never met anybody that could comfortably wear more than two. Both is two. And yet, as you continue to read the verse, it says both in Jerusalem, that's one, and in all Judea, that's two, and in Samaria, we're already over. That's three, and under the uttermost part of the earth, that's four. Why did God inspire Dr. Luke to write the word both, that means two, and then give four different parts of the world? And I thought about that, and I thought about that, and I thought about that, and here's the conclusion that I came to. That when God said both, he's talking about where you are and where you aren't. God said, I want you to be witnesses unto me, both where you are and where you aren't. That's the command there in the book of Acts. And the truth is, we can't do that in our own power. We cannot be an effective witness for God where we are or where we aren't without the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Have you ever tried to share the gospel with someone and it just went nowhere? Have you ever pulled out every Bible verse you could think of and every illustration you could imagine and it still went nowhere? Have you ever, have you ever realized that you and I cannot bring conviction? We can't do that. Only God can do that. That's God's job. It's not my job to convict a sinner. It's my job to preach the gospel, but I've got to be filled with the Holy Spirit because he's the one that convicts the sinner. I can't convince someone that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I lived for six years in a country that is 97% Buddhist. Very, very common to say, do you know who Jesus Christ is? And to have them say, I don't know who that is. Have you ever heard the name Jesus Christ? I don't think I've ever heard the name Jesus Christ. How do you take someone from never having heard the name of Jesus Christ, not having any idea who that is, and in 30, 45, 60 minutes, bringing them to the point where they're ready to put their trust for eternity in this man that they'd never heard of 60 minutes ago. I can't do that. You can't do that. And that's why we need the filling of the Holy Spirit. And may I say this? People that are not actively trying to get the gospel to other people often don't understand why they need the Holy Spirit. 
They don't pray to be filled with the Holy Spirit. They don't see a need to be filled with the Holy Spirit because they can come to church without the Holy Spirit. They can read their Bible without the Holy Spirit. They can even pray without the Holy Spirit. But you cannot be an effective soul winner without the Holy Spirit. God said you've got to be filled and when you get filled, you will be witnesses unto me in two different places. Where you are, and where you aren't. We need more Christians to be missionaries where they are. There's a whole lot of people in this area that need to get saved. I'll go a step further. There's a whole lot of people in this area that are ready to get saved, but haven't had anybody explain how. They need somebody to hand them a gospel track. They need somebody to say, I'd like to have you come to church this Sunday, meet my Sunday school teacher. They need somebody to say, if you die today, are you 100% sure that you would go to heaven? Because there are people around here that need to be saved and every Christian needs to win souls where they are. That's your Jerusalem. This verse was spoken to the disciples in the Jerusalem and and. and and Jesus said, you've you got to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And when you are, you're going to be witnesses right here where you are. Amen. Have you witnessed anybody lately? Amen. Have you handed out any gospel tracts lately? Did you know that they're not printed by this church to fill up the extra drawer in your kitchen? They're not meant for space fillers in your pocket, in your purse. They're supposed to be given away. They don't do any good if they're not given away. A seed cannot grow unless it's planted. And God wants us to do that. And when we do that, filled with the Holy Spirit, we're going to see results. I had a man come to, I, when, when I'm home, uh, I teach an adult Sunday school class. It's called the Redemption Class. I joke with my class often. I say, this is the most unusual class at First Baptist Church in Hammond because it's the only class where the students are much more faithful than the teacher. I'm always off at a conference somewhere or traveling around the world somewhere, and I've got two or three good men that step in when I'm gone, but I enjoy that class tremendously. And when I'm there, I teach the class on Sunday mornings. Had a man come to our class. He came for three or four weeks in a row. His name was Thomas. And I went and I talked to him and I said, Thomas, I'd like to come and, and uh, visit you at your home sometime. And he gave me permission to do that. And so one Saturday I went by and I knocked on the door and uh, Thomas invited me in. We sat down on the couch and I, I asked Thomas, I said, Thomas, do you know 100% sure if you died that you'd go to heaven? And he said, Brother Bushy, I think that I would. I said, Thomas, why do you think that you'd go to heaven when you die. And he began to tell me how he had, he had some things in his life that were not right, some habits in the past that he had made right, and he'd done some good changes. And he told me a long story about how he was doing the best that he could. And when he got done, I said, Thomas, I believe that you're trying your best. And I believe that you're probably a better person than you were a year or two ago. But would you mind if I just opened a Bible and showed you what the Bible said and I began to go through the scriptures and showed him that he's a sinner like we all are and that he deserves to go to hell like we all do and that Jesus Christ loved him and died for him just like he did for all of us and that he offers us eternal life as a free gift just like he's offered it to all of us. And I got to the end and I said, Thomas, what do you think? And he started the whole story all over again. 
well, I used to do this in the past. I'm not doing it anymore. And I think I'm going to be okay because I'm a better person now. And, and it was almost like everything I said just went right in one ear and right out the other and maybe didn't even make it to the first ear. And so I did the same thing. I went through the whole thing again too. And I gave him the gospel all over again. And honestly, I, I got all done and I said, what do you think? He started the story a third time. I'm pretty sure that I gave him the complete gospel four times and he gave me his complete story four times and we got to the end of four times, I was out. I had nothing left. I had no more Bible verses to give. I had, I've used all my best illustrations. I had nothing else to say. And while I was talking and while he was talking, I was praying and I was saying, God, you've got to step in here. This guy is not going to get saved unless you do it because nothing I say is getting in there. God, you've got to do it. And Thomas was in the middle of a sentence. He was telling me for the fourth time what a great guy that he was. And all of a sudden he stopped. He looked at me and this is what he said. He said, the light just went on. The light just went on. He said, I just got what you were telling me. I can't be good enough, can I? And I said, no, you can't. Hallelujah, you can't. And, uh, we, and I, we reviewed a little bit and bowed our heads and Thomas got saved. And, and I'll tell you something, that was about 1% Mark Bushy and about 99% the Holy Spirit. All I was doing was saying the same words over and over and I can't get through. God says, when you get filled with the Holy Spirit, you can do that. You can talk to that person at work that intimidates you. You can go talk to that neighbor. You can stop somebody on the street that you've never met before. When you've got the Holy Spirit inside of you, you're going to see results because that's what God does. Just last week, I had a very interesting situation. I have a dear couple in my Sunday school class. Their names are Paul and Kelly, and uh, they're, they're a little bit older than I am. They've never had children, and they run a bread route. They get up early every morning and they pick, they pick up a, a load of bread and they deliver it to different grocery stores. And that's been, they, they've done it together as long as I've known them. They both get up early in the morning. They both go to bed early at night and they both deliver bread all day. And, uh, and they had been going to a store that's about almost an hour south of our church. And they had met a young lady there who was the manager of that store. She lives about as different a lifestyle as you can imagine from somebody in this room. She doesn't have our standards. She doesn't have our beliefs. She doesn't have our morals. Just about as far away from a Baptist as you could be. But they struck up a relationship with her. And they were kind to her and friendly to her. And they had the opportunity to invite her to church. And honestly, the kind of person that you would think that person would never come to church. Outward appearance, they'll never come to church. Lifestyle, they'll never come to church. The way they respond to God, they'll never come to church. But they invited her to church and she said, I think I'll come. Well, that was back in February and she decided to come the Sunday that everything shut down. And so she couldn't come for a long time. But then last week, a week ago Sunday, she told Paul and Kelly, I'm gonna come to your church. Now, I think God did this, but she went and told a friend of hers that's an atheist and the atheist laughed at her and that got her mad. What right do you have to laugh at me? I'll go to church if I want to. And I think God used her atheist friend to get her mad enough that she's going to come to church just to show him. 
And so we were in Sunday school and all of a sudden I saw Kelly look down at her phone, start texting and they both jumped up and ran out and I thought, thank God she's coming. And they went out, met her and brought her in. She had not been in church in over 20 years. And she brought a friend from work as well. Both of them came together, sat there through the service with their mouths hanging open. <clears throat> wow, this church is huge. Man, the music's amazing. Well, that guy talks pretty good. And afterwards, Paul and Kelly had them come to their house for lunch. I'll say that again. Afterwards, Paul and Kelly had them come to their house for lunch. You know, you get a lot of people say with food. Jesus did. Amen. He also had me come for lunch. I'll say that again, too. My wife and I joined them and two of our girls, there were eight of us sitting around the table and for an hour and a half we sat there and Kelly's a good cook and we ate good and we had fun talking and there was like, there was just no barriers. Kelly was telling stories about a missionary book that, that she'd read and, and uh, this young lady was telling about how she had to fire her meat manager because he was stealing meat from the cooler and uh, we went all over the place telling stories. <laughs> we laughed together, we enjoyed each other's company. And afterwards, we went outside, and uh, Paul bought an old farmhouse, and he finished the roof so it's flat on top of the roof. It's like the upper deck, you know, it's like where Peter prayed. And he said, why don't we all go up on the roof? And so we were going up on the roof, and he pulled me aside, and he said, he said, Brother Bushy, he said, um, during the invitation, when Pastor Wilkerson asked, if you know for sure you're going to heaven, raise your hand. <coughs> he said, she raised her hand. He said, can somebody be saved and live the way she's living? Is that even possible? And I said, I don't know. Isn't that a great answer? I don't know. I've never been able to look at somebody and tell if they're saved or not. I don't know. But I said, I can ask her. So we got up there and he said she got baptized when she was nine and, and uh, she thinks she's saved. So we were up there on the roof there and we were kind of going around and talking into each other. And you know how crowds are, they, the, the dynamics change. And at one point it ended up with just those two young ladies in the corner and so I went over and I called her name and I said, hey, uh, <coughs> Paul said that uh, you got baptized when you were nine years old. And she said, I got christened when I was a baby and I got baptized when I was nine. And I said, that's interesting. I got christened when I was a baby and I got baptized when I was 12. I said, now that you've been baptized twice, are you 100% sure you're going to heaven? And she said, not really. And I said to the other young lady, are you sure you're going to heaven? She said, not really. And I said, would you mind if we went down and sat at the kitchen table and I'll open a Bible and show you how you can know for sure you're going to heaven? And they said, yes. We went down to the kitchen and I said something that I often say. <coughs> I tell folks, I'm no good as a mechanic. Any mechanics here? Anybody here a mechanic? Well, we don't have a single mechanic here. I'm going to pray. Lord, don't let anybody's car break down tonight. Amen. <coughs> no mechanics here. I am not a mechanic. I can't fix a computer. Anybody here can fix a computer? Is there anybody here that can do anything? <laughs> I, I told her, I said, I can't fix a car. I'm not a mechanic. I can't fix a computer. But I said, I am an expert on showing people from the Bible how they can know for sure they're going to heaven. I have read through this book many, many times. This is my book. And I'm going to show you what my book says about going to heaven. And I took them through the Bible and I showed them the old Romans road. I started with 1 John 5, 13. I took them into the Romans road. I gave the gospel to two young ladies and both of them 
signified that they were ready to pray. I said, there's two ways we can do this. I said, you can either pray in your own words or I can give you the words and you can pray. I found sometimes people want to pray. Sometimes they don't. I said, now, when I got married, I didn't know what to say. Preacher gave me the words and I said them and I got married. I said, you can get saved that way, too. Preacher can give you the words. You can say them. You'll get me. You just got to mean what you're saying. And they both said, we want you to say it. And so I gave them the words to say and they said the words and they got saved. And it was amazing because this young lady that's been living about as far for God for the last 20 years suddenly got excited about God. And she sent a text to Kelly the next day and she said, I woke up this morning and I was afraid maybe I wasn't saved because I hadn't said the words right. And then I remembered that guy told me what to say and so I know I said the right thing. Do you know that's not me? Do you know that's the Holy Spirit? Do you know that's just two stories and there's a million more like them out in your neighborhood? Do you know that when you get filled with the Holy Spirit that God can do amazing things in the hearts and the minds of other people? Do you know when we're living like the world, we don't want to go soul winning? And I think it's because we know nothing's going to happen. Do you know when we're living in sin and the Holy Spirit's convicting us and we're resisting the Holy Spirit, we're fighting against him. We know that we're going to be ineffective as soul winners and we don't want to bother. Do you know if we as a church would get filled with the Holy Spirit, we would have a boldness like they had in the book of Acts. And we'd go up to complete strangers and start talking to them about eternity because I don't know if they're going to respond or not, but the Holy Spirit can do something that I can't do. And if we would get filled with the Holy Spirit, we would be witnesses where we are. I also believe we'd be witnesses where we aren't. And I think sometimes we take that whole idea and we put it in a little box. But you know, there's a lot of different ways to be a witness where you aren't. Do you know you can be a witness in Judea and Samaria on summer vacation? You know, when you go on summer vacation, it's not time to leave your Bible home. It's time to grab your Bible and a bunch of tracks and be a witness to somebody that you may not ever see again anywhere else in your whole life. Do you know if you're like me, sometimes it can be a little bit intimidating to talk to the person next door because if they get mad, they still live right next door. But if you're in Florida and you're seeing some guy you're never going to see again anytime for the rest of your life, you can be as bold as you want to. That's true. You're going to visit family somewhere. Man, on the way, at every rest stop, give everybody a track you can. See, what if they get mad? They're never going to see you again. They don't know who you are, where you live. You can be a missionary on the way. I'll never forget years ago, my wife, we, we had to stop at a laundromat. We were traveling on the road, had to stop at a laundromat. We sat down and a young lady was sitting in the chair next to my wife, watching her laundry, you know, one of these things, you know, watching it go round and round. And my wife said, uh, what's your name? Her name was Melissa. If you die today, you know for sure you're going to heaven? She said, no. And she said, uh, can I explain it to you? She said, sure. And she, she, started, she started going like this and she said, oh, I don't have a track. Honey, do you have a track? And I started going like this and I didn't have one either. Please forgive me. I didn't have a track on me. 
My wife said, you got a New Testament. I said, there's someone in the car somewhere. I don't know where. My wife took out a piece of paper and a pencil and started writing out the Romans road and one Melissa to Christ with a piece of paper with the Romans road that she had just written on it. We never saw her again, but we will one day. You know, when you're traveling outside of your Jerusalem, it's a great opportunity to be a witness. Guys, you go on a business trip, bring some tracks along. Grab a soul winning New Testament, take it with you. You sit next to somebody on a plane. You might want to wait till close toward landing if, if you're nervous, but you might be the reason that God puts you in that, that, they might be the reason God puts you in that seat. And I've learned something. I've learned that when somebody says, God, fill me with your Holy Spirit and give me an opportunity to share the gospel with somebody today, that God will bring people. God wants everybody saved. There's not a person out there that God wants to go to hell. And God knows exactly where they are in their mind and their heart right now. God knows who's ready to get saved. And when God's got a Christian that's filled with the Holy Spirit, God can bring them across your path. We used to have a soul winning marathon every year in New Zealand. And we'd have churches come from all over down to Whanganui. And we'd have a couple of days of preaching. And then on Saturday afternoon, we'd all go out soul winning. 100, 150 people all going out soul winning at once. And I used to tell them, hey, God knows you're all here. God's going to bring people here to Whanganui just for today. I said that one year, one of our teenagers walked out. And there was a man walking down the street that was a refugee from Iraq. His house had got bombed during the Gulf War. He'd been sent as a refugee to Jordan. They brought him to New Zealand. One of our teenagers walked up to him on the street, gave him a track and won him to Christ. He was only there for one day. That day. When you're ready, God knows you're ready. God can bring people to you. God says, when I fill you with the Holy Spirit, you can be a witness where you are and where you're not. You can be a witness in your Jerusalem. You can be a witness out in places where you don't normally go. Do you know <clears throat> that some of you need to go on a missions trip? I had a man come to me recently and he was struggling. I could tell he was struggling. He said, Brother Bushy, and he was almost weeping. Great big manly man, full beard, almost crying. He said, Brother Bushy, when I was a teenager, God called me to go to the mission field. And I've got a wife and I've got four kids and I never surrendered to go to the mission field and it's, it's killing me. And I said to him, when God called you to the mission field, did he tell you how long you had to go? Did he say 20 years or could it be 10 days? You can go to the mission field for 10 days. Anybody can go to the mission field for 10 days. Do you know when you go to the mission field, you find people that are looking. There are people all over this world that they can't turn on the television to hear the gospel in their language. They can't walk down to the corner and go to a Baptist church. They've never seen a gospel track in their language before. But you can go to the mission field, walk out on the street, and in Kenya, they speak English. Amen? You can talk to people in, Ken in English in Kenya. You can walk down the street in Barbados, in Australia, in Nigeria, in Ghana. You can talk to people in English. 
There's places all over the world you can go on a mission trip and give the gospel to somebody in your language. And they'll get saved. You know, most of the Buddhist people that I've met in my life didn't really want to be Buddhist. They just never had anybody give them an option. Do you know a lot of Muslim people don't enjoy being Muslim? It's not a fun religion. They don't have songs like we sing. They don't have joy like we have. About half of us do. Half of us are ready for bed. But you can go on a missions trip. Do you know, you, if, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you can be a witness where you are and you can be a witness where you aren't by supporting somebody that's going there in your place. Do you all understand that when you give to missions here, that all those churches that Brother Mickey showed, those are your churches. You understand when you give to Faith Promise Missions here at this church that you're supporting those national pastors that are going out and winning more national pastors. You understand that, right? You understand when you get to heaven one day that you're going to get rewards for what those men are doing because you invested in them. You say, I don't think I can ever go to Kenya. Your dollars can. And I started off by reminding you that you got more than most. I know you're poor. You only get pizza once a week. Yeah, we, we live so rough, don't we? You know, I'm, I don't know if I'm jumping the gun here, but Pastor and I were talking about if, if we'd have enough families add $15 a month to their faith promise giving, the church would go over 100000 for the year. $15 a month. That's three cups of five bucks. I mean, Starbucks. Three cups of coffee a month. I know I'm, I'm, I'm walking on holy grounds right now. <laughs> Stepping on toes. $15 a month. And you can go someplace where you physically may never go, but you can make an impact. And then I'll finish by saying this. Some of us should go. There's some people that God wants to go. You may be a young person. You may be middle-aged with children. You may be retired. My mother and father-in-law went to the mission field when they were 69. They served in Thailand for seven years. Started the First Baptist Church of Nong Plop. One of the men that I wanted to cry, I didn't win him to cry, sorry. I discipled him. He was already saved when I met him, but I discipled him. He just became the pastor there four weeks ago. They stayed there for seven years before they came back to the States. I wonder how many of our retired people, instead of buying an RV and traveling the country, could go to another country and start a church. God wants us to work. God needs us to work. God needs vessels that are filled with his Holy Spirit that can win people where they are and where they aren't. And I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and bow your heads, and we're going to pray together. And we're going to have an invitation. If the Holy Spirit's spoken to you, I want to invite you to come down to the altar and say, God, please fill me with your Holy Spirit. At least do that. At least ask God to fill you with his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is, is God. He can do amazing things through us. He can change people's hearts and minds where we can't by ourselves. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Father, thank you for the reminder here in Acts chapter 1, verse 8 that we're responsible to be witnesses in both places, that we need to be filled with your Holy Spirit to make a difference where we are and where we aren't. 
Lord, I pray that you would talk to each individual here, each individual situation, that you would direct them clearly what you want from them. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Would you stand, please? And as you're standing, if God's speaking to your heart, would you come? There's an altar down here, and God wants some people to come.